0: This podcast is sponsored by Outsolve. As credit unions adapt to evolving member expectations, they often need a partner who understands affirmative action compliance in the context of today's world. Outsolve knows compliance and how to leverage it to support other mission-driven efforts like diversity, inclusion, and fair pay. Visit Outsolve.com to find out more. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Financial institutions covered by the NCUA with deposit insurance are subject to comply with Affirmative Action Program obligations under Executive Order 11246, the Vietnam-era Veterans Readjustment Assistant Act, and Section 503. With credit unions prioritizing diversity, equity, and inclusion work and the Biden-Harris administration's interest in enforcing measures related to the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, or OFCCP, credit unions should remain proactive and ensure they are in full compliance. I'm Casey Mishleavy, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, I speak with Chris Lindholm, Vice President of Compliance at Outsolve. Lindholm outlines steps to take to ensure compliance, shares commonly overlooked details to take note of, and explains the consequences of noncompliance. Lindholm has been involved in affirmative action planning for more than 20 years, assisting clients with OFCCP audit support, training, and equal employment opportunity compliance including implementation of federal affirmative action plans for thousands of federal contractors. Chris, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DEI, has become an important priority for credit unions. In addition to the values case and business case for DEI, there are compliance considerations related to DEI that credit unions must know about. So let's start by talking about what these requirements are and which financial institutions are subject to comply with them.
1: Becoming what is considered a federal contractor with affirmative action planning obligations has a pretty big impact on companies of all shapes and sizes, and very much so in the financial industry as well, because it means that you're going to essentially look at transforming your hiring and selection process, including things like promotions and terminations activity, and focusing very much on making all that transparent within your organization and meeting a whole series of obligations related to selection and hiring, which usually surprises people in its complexity. There are a lot of pieces to becoming essentially an EEO, and affirmative action contractor, related to these steps. And We could spend a whole afternoon talking about what all of those steps are, but it essentially means more record keeping, more awareness around the selection process, and more attention being paid to the potential for discrimination in a lot of different facets that you really want to avoid.
0: With a new presidential administration now in place, what do we know about potential changes or new priorities related to affirmative action compliance?
1: First of all, typically when a Republican administration switches over to a Democrat-led one or vice versa, you anticipate change, but historically it's taken time for change to happen, but not this time. So interestingly enough, the former head of OFCCP, Craig Lean, has stepped out, and we thought anywhere from, you know, three months, six months, even 12 months maybe, before we see a new OFCCP director, which is really the person that drives the momentum and tasks associated with the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, the Enforcement Division of the Department of Labor. And geez, it was almost immediate that uh, the Biden administration brought in Jenny Yang coming over from EEOC to head the OFCCP. So the impact was felt immediately. Jenny Yang comes from a, a history of very strong interest in pay equity, which has a lot of ramifications, as well as going right into the news of the day, literally this morning, the Department of Labor took a list of 2,250 contractors that they had identified as intending to audit and cut it back to 500. They slashed the list. And what happened was in the prior administration, they had created what was called a focused review, a form of audit that focused on a certain aspect of affirmative action. So they had focused reviews on protected veterans. They had focused reviews on individuals with a disability, and they were gearing up to do focused reviews on accommodations and religious accommodations. And there was a long list, a public list of contractors that they said, we're going to audit you for these types of areas of affirmative action. And lo and behold, literally today, they dropped all of them. So What happened now is there are 500 businesses on the warning list that are all going to get the old school standard establishment review. So they won't get a focus on veterans, they won't get a focus on individuals with a disability. What they will get is the standard full audit from top to bottom, which means submitting a lot of data to OFCCP, and those audits can be very in depth and they can literally go on for years. So, in terms of concluding that question about changes in the administration, it appears that they're going to scale back some resources, they're going to focus on their historical strengths of conducting desk audits. I imagine at some point, they will move back into periodically conducting on-site audits, which they haven't done for quite a while for obvious reasons, and we'll see how all of that goes. But pay equity and more lean and mean type of desk audits, if you will, are the new norm.
0: And as we think about some of these changes that you mentioned, what steps should credit unions be taking to ensure that they're in compliance in these areas?
1: If I'm any business that has affirmative action obligations, and we'll focus this on credit unions, you have a series of annual obligations to undertake, and I often liken it to doing your taxes annually. You have to develop an annual affirmative action plan, and you have to act on the results. If you have problem areas that you have to fix, There are a lot of facets to it that go beyond just developing a report that you can stick on a shelf. There are lots of obligations associated with it. So if I'm a contractor who has that obligation, I'm going to have a checklist. I'm going to have an action plan that I'm going to review at a bare minimum of at least once a year, hopefully more than that, go through my list of required activities, make sure that those activities are completed, that those things are in place, so that if I get an audit, I'm ready. And it's fairly straightforward in the sense that the Department of Labor has an itemized list that they go through if you get audited every year. So I'm going to make sure I can meet those obligations that covers all of those things related to having my annual affirmative action plan, conducting my record keeping obligations throughout the hiring and selection process, labor posters, contract language, job advertisements that they have those EEO requirements met. I'm going to check them off as I go during the annual affirmative action plan creation process so that I feel that I am shipshape to not only meet an audit but to report to leadership that we have met all of our obligations and that we're limiting risk.
0: Which areas of the credit union need to be involved in ensuring compliance and what does that collaboration look like between roles or departments?
1: In a smaller organization, they're going to have HR staff that wears multiple hats and manages those various obligations. You're not going to have dedicated EEO and affirmative action staff to meet these annual compliance obligations. It's unlikely. So leadership within the organization needs to be aware of those annual affirmative action obligations. And the HR team should be giving them some form of an update on an annual basis. Separately, anyone involved in the selection and retention of staff, again, typically HR, should undergo an annual training. This includes people like recruiters should undergo an annual training to ensure they understand their affirmative action obligations. And I would be leveraging the affirmative action plan itself because it has output that tells you how you're doing in various areas like hiring and promotion, things of that nature, and very much now related to outreach. How good a job are you going out and conducting outreach to the community to bring in women and minorities and individuals with a disability and protected veterans. What kind of opportunities are you creating within the organization? And how are you managing the accommodation process to help overcome those obstacles that might prevent people from getting into your organization? So in terms of who's going to be involved in the relationship, you want approval and acknowledgement from leadership, not just so that you have the capacity and the budget to go fulfill these obligations, but that the organization supports it because that resonates throughout the whole company. When leadership is supportive of affirmative action, it can reasonably implement it and act it upon. It just makes sense. And then the staff and the HR team involved in these processes needs to be engaged in developing those annual plans, acting on the results of those plans, and adapting their hiring and selection processes to ensure that they're not unintentionally creating an environment that might have discrimination in any capacity.
0: And as credit unions are doing things like putting together an affirmative action plan and getting leadership up to speed with all of the steps that need to happen, are there any details that might get commonly overlooked that credit unions should make a special note of?
1: I actually was talking to some members of our consulting team to get some of their input because we support a lot of financial institutions. I was asking, well, what areas may be specific to credit unions might be areas of vulnerability or a specific challenge that are very common to them, but maybe, you know, you don't see as much in other industries. And I got some really interesting answers. Number one on the list was actually the challenge of dealing with mergers and acquisitions. My understanding is, and, and I've seen some of this in practice, that there is a huge volume of merger and acquisition activity going on in the credit union industry. And that's a very big deal as it relates to a lot of things. The thinking about human resources and selection and systems and affirmative action. So there's very specific things that become vulnerable and become problematic during mergers and acquisitions related to the merging of systems, the merging of human resources, specific data, the collection of race and gender data, the merging of salaries and hiring data data systems used to track the hiring process, these things have a tendency to overlap and sort of crash into each other and they have to be managed very carefully. As I've seen specific instances that are very challenging when any company undergoes this, if you have a different system that has a totally different pay culture coming in with another credit union and their distinct pay culture and these things don't necessarily align really, really well then you've got a challenge because if you get audited and you've got these fairly common job titles, customer service representatives, tellers and things like that, and their pay is all over the place and for different reasons and their pay changes for some organizations, pay increases may just be a matter of time within the organization. But with others, it may be very specific to a performance scale that's managed things of these nature. These things have to be blended and come together and worked through so that you don't have disparities that can be found a little bit later that you're struggling to manage. Additionally, job posting. Many years ago, you know, I've been doing this over 20 years, and the listing of jobs wasn't such a major part of affirmative action planning now. But back in 2014, when the Department of Labor brought in record keeping and data metrics and analyses associated with protected veterans and individuals with a disability, Coming in, in addition to the original group of women and minorities, a much bigger sphere of information has to be managed and tracked and adapted to on an annual basis. So coming back to the job listing concern, my understanding from talking to our team members is that credit unions have a tendency to list multiple jobs in a single listing, to blend jobs and do things of that nature, which is problematic from a record-keeping perspective because you may put out a general job description and you may funnel people into different jobs when they come into the organization. This creates a little bit of mayhem in the tracking of who is a qualified and considered applicant for a specific job, which is part of affirmative action. So the blending of this information, and again, I was told it's very common for customer service reps and tellers to go to different levels, to go to different locations and things of that nature. So the job listing being broad creates risk for the organization. It's harder to track the data that's coming in and out where people are going historically as long as I've been doing this. And still to this day, the biggest financial risk in being audited by the Department of Labor is disparities in the hiring process. So qualified women or minorities or individuals with a disability or protected veterans trying to get into the organization being filtered out for a variety of reasons not getting a chance to be hired into the organization, creating a gap in who was hired versus who was not hired when they were equally qualified. That math, those statistically significant gaps are easy to find. They're hard to defend because if you don't have the data, you can't defend themselves. And these things often go straight to financial settlements with the Department of Labor. And I've used this analogy, I don't know how many times, but when I, I do training, organizations often default to OFCCP saying, look, we're just going to settle, we're going to pay a settlement, we're going to pay a fee and move on because we just don't have the data and record keeping and information to really dig into this and defend ourselves. We're kind of at the mercy of the Department of Labor. That's a tremendous vulnerability. So in these processes, areas that might get overlooked by the credit union or they might struggle with are these mergers and acquisitions, managing their job listings, and things that result in kind of a cluster of data related to the application process moving into the hiring process, and then who's retained and kept and moved on from there.
0: And what are some of the potential consequences of noncompliance?
1: The de facto answer related to, well, if you're noncompliant, you can lose your federal contract and be debarred from working with the federal government, which almost never happens. So the more realistic answer to that question is, If you're audited by the Department of Labor, I create two buckets that problems can fall into. One is we're having trouble with record keeping or we didn't do our postings or there's some facet of activity that you're supposed to be doing that just didn't get done. Department of Labor audits you, they find that gap, you conciliate with them and come to an agreement about what you're going to do to fix that. And then you report to them and demonstrate that you corrected it. One of the most common ones is applicant data, or using a proper applicant tracking system. The credit union implements a new system. They demonstrate to OFCCP that they have done so, and they go on their merry way. The other bucket is the financial ramifications. The Department of Labor has always been, very simply so, taken the low-hanging fruit of hiring data issues, finding discrimination in the selection process, either intentional or unintentional, there you know, these systems in play that just create gaps in the selection process, and these things end up in a financial settlement. can be very uncomfortable for the contractor, but more often than not, they're paying those settlements to close the book on it and move on. because otherwise these things can go on for years. And you can easily go into Google and type in OFCCP settlement and see cases usually against larger organizations that have dragged on for years, Bank of America and Google and things of these nature. Can be very uh, difficult. However, even in smaller organizations like credit unions, pay equity is now a big deal. States are pursuing enforcement around it. The EEOC started to collect some data. They struggled with it, but they're going to reboot that process. It's pretty much a certainty. And the OFCCP, the people who enforce affirmative action, back in 2014 and shortly after started collecting more detailed pay data they're not looking at summary pay data. They're getting detailed employee records on pay, and they're analyzing these folks against those who are similarly situated. So you've got real financial ramifications there in the selection process and in pay equity that to minimize risk, you've got to have good control of those areas.
0: How can credit unions get guidance or support if they need expertise beyond what their in-house resources can offer?
1: Great question. And here's another little bit of a shocker. For several years, OFCCP cultivated on their website contractor resources to make use of. Training tools, frequently asked question tools, sample forms. It shut down the website. Literally this week, they canceled it. Now, I haven't gone back in and seen exactly what remains and what is gone, but losing those resources was a fairly big deal. Now, you could say, well, it benefits a consultant like me, and that's technically true, but Contractors need to know, what do I have to do to be compliant here? So let me make a few simple suggestions. Number one, most any organization, you're developing your annual affirmative action plan. You're using help to get it done. Like you're outsourcing to a team like Outsolve or many other organizations in the industry who do this type of support, and you've got that covered. Or they work with their counsel or an external labor attorney to have that kind of coverage and support. These are all things that cost money, but those are the things that are going to really protect you and make sure you've got compliance in balance. But beyond that, for those of you, if you've never heard of an industry liaison group, most every region of the country and a lot of cities or metro areas have industry teams, industry groups, where leaders of different organizations, including members of the Department of Labor, will meet on a regular basis and get together and share issues, and solve problems, and communicate about what's going on in the industry. And you can join these industry groups. They're completely free. Most of these groups have meetings in person where you can get to know people or even just get to know them virtually or through the web. The National Industry Liaison Group has an annual full-blown, full-scale meeting, like 1,000 people, where you could attend on an annual basis. It moves to a different area of the country every year. In 2021, it's going to be in Nashville over the summer. I'm assuming that at least part or all of it will actually be in person. Otherwise, they'll do it more virtually. But it's fairly easy to join these groups. And we could give out information. You can find them online under National Industry Liaison Group in Affirmative Action. And honestly, good old Google articles and activities and things about how to deal with affirmative action clients are all over the web. We have a really detailed blog. Lots of people have detailed blogs be a member of SHRM, find resources through SHRM. It's not too hard to find help in the digital age. And again, I've been doing this a long time and I used to develop software. I don't necessarily recommend just trying to wing it on your own, get some help. It's just too complex and there's too much risk nowadays to kind of wing it on an annual basis. I would request getting some real tangible assistance.
0: Thanks for listening to the CUNY News Podcast subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This podcast is sponsored by Outsolve. To learn more about how Outsolve helps credit unions with their affirmative action compliance requirements, visit Outsolve.com.